Is this thing still on? I think they can hear us a bit better now. Should we keep talking? Of course. Let's say it louder for those in the back. Hi, and welcome to the Green Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion about health and healthcare. My name is Amy Archibald Burley. And my name is Sarah Fung. And we are your podcast hosts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, or any other podcast platform, don't forget to hit subscribe so you can get updates on new episodes. If you love our podcast and our advocacy work, please go to www.grittynurse.com and click on the Support Us button. This will give you access to exclusive episodes and early releases on a monthly basis. This will help us with the costs of running the podcast, the time and energy to put out awesome and informative episodes. And for that, we thank you and we appreciate you. Hi and welcome everyone this week. Thank you so much for tuning in again to the Greeners podcast. We have a, a pretty serious episode today and I think that, you know, there's learnings for everybody. There's learning from the patient side, there's learning from the nurse side, there's there's learning from the physician side, healthcare side. And I think that this is a very, very crucial and important topic to talk about. Um, specifically for myself too, as I come from a quality improvement background. And, you know, when we talk about quality improvement in healthcare, we talk about systems errors and systems approaches. And um, this particular case that we're going to talk about, we really need to stop and pause and think about like, what are we actually doing? Although this case isn't Canadian, it definitely is scary for us too. I think when what I said was, you know, um, if uh, the U.S. Uh, has a no runny nose, uh, Canada catches a cold. So, I mean, we have to take what ha- what's happening out there very serious to what can happen here as well. Our guest today is not only a fellow nurse, but also a fellow podcaster, which is quite rare in our neck of the woods. Um, we're a small group here, but she's also been a really big supporter of us at the Gritty Nurse podcast, you know, pretty much since we started. Tina is actually from Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And if you haven't heard of this podcast, I would highly recommend you listen to it, especially if you're into true crime. So her podcast actually is one part lighthearted and fun, one part deep and thought-provoking. A podcast hosted by a registered nurse who uses true crime and hot topic stories to educate and encourage nurses. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome you, Tina, to the Great Nurse Podcast. Thank you guys so much for having me. I always love getting to talk to you guys. And it's always a pleasure to have you here too, yeah. And, you know, it's actually funny because Amy and I have both done lots of case reviews um, in our careers. And this was one of really particular interest to me, just based on some of the circumstances and the outcomes, which we'll let you get into. But maybe before that, we can just start by, um, if you could tell us who Redonda Vaught is. Redonda Vaught is um, a farmer. She lives in a a small rural town in Tennessee outside of Nashville. She graduated from nursing school several years ago and then started working at a hospital in that rural area and then decided she wanted more of a challenge. She loved nursing and she wanted to learn as much as she could. So like many nurses do, she decided to start working at Vanderbilt University at because it's a level one trauma center and and just lots of of challenges there. She went to work in the neuro ICU um, and she had been working there for about two years when she, a horrible event happened. She made a a fatal medication error that led to, obviously it it led to a patient's death. As we say, the rest is history. It's just, it's been a rough three years. Actually, it's been four years. That happened in 2017, in December of 2017, but everything sort of, I don't know, it was swept under the rug for almost a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think I think a lot of people are hearing her name now, and it's it's an important name to, to talk about and, and an important name for us to rally support around. So could you tell us a little bit about the medical incident, the error that actually occurred? So what happened, uh, and th- this is a horrible story, it is, it's actually one that once you, it's kind of like you can't unthink it, like um, it will make a mental in- image imprint on your brain that you won't be able to get out. So if you don't want to listen to this, you might want, you know, I, I, I will just warn you, it's very disturbing. So Redonda, it was Christmas, uh, it was the day after Christmas, it was December 26, 2017, and Redonda was working on the neuro floor as a help all nurse. So they were fully staffed. Uh, she, so she was the help all nurse. So she was kind of floating around doing different things. She had an orientee, a new grad nurse that was with her. And another nurse was watching someone else's patients and 
one of his patients he had sent down to get a PET scan. Okay. And her name is Charlene Murphy. Uh, this patient, she had come in the day before she had had a subdural hematoma uh, that they found on a CT. It had kind of resolved and she was doing better. And actually she was sent over to the step down area. So she was in the step down area of the neuro ICU. So it's still kind of the same floor, but you know, lower acuity. She did, uh, telemetry was discontinued that morning. So she did not have to be quote on a monitor. And so when it was time for her to go downstairs, get her PET scan, they, they just wanted to kind of do a scan just to make sure like, you know, what's going on? Where'd this brain bleed come from? Why did it, that's, you know, happen? That is there some sort of lesion, you know, that sort of thing, just looking to see if they could find. So they got her down there and she's very claustrophobic. The family had already told them that she was claustrophobic. They told them in the emergency department and instead of them ordering something for her to be given on, up on the floor, they sent her on down and then she got down there and was like, I cannot go through that. I absolutely cannot. So the radiology department called up to the nurse the nurse tried to get um, an order for some uh, sedation. The doctor said, you can just give, you know, one to two milligrams of Versed and she doesn't need to be monitored. It's, it's fine. She's had it before. She'll be okay. And there was a little back and forth between radiology and the doctor and the nurse. And Redondavalt is has nothing to do with any of this. She's going around being a nurse, okay, being the help all nurse. So, well, then the doctor puts in the order and then the nurse is like, I'm watching this other nurse's patients. I can't leave to go down there and do it. So this is a perfect opportunity to utilize the help all nurse. And he asked Redonda, could you go down um, and give this for said to my patient who's about to go through a, a PET scan? So they're actually on their way to do a swallow study in the emergency department right next door. So she went over to the OmniCell Pixis, Acudose, whatever you call the automatic dispensing cabinet that housed the uh, medications. And she, this is a, up for a debate what actually happened, uh, but suffice it to say, she typed something into the Acudose to pull out Versed. And we, if those of us who are nurses know that most Acudoses and in, in Omnicells are, uh, the, the medications are put in under um, generic, not brand name. Versed is the generic brand the, or the brand name. The generic name is midazolam. Well, she typed in VE or Versed and nothing came up. So she went uh, to an empty room that was nearby, looked at the order, saw it there and was like, I see it. It's the orders here. Okay. Why is it not coming up in the Omnicell? They had previously in the fall, like October, November, or I think in, well, no, sorry, it was November. They had been having, they switched over to a new system. And so there were several, there was a couple of weeks there where they were having to override a lot to, to be able to get um, medications out. And even still, there was a problem with, a, with delay of orders showing up. And so she hit override. She decided, I'll just type in the, the medication, find it, and I'll override this medication, even though it's not on the patient's specific profile, because she's mm -hmm. just thinking... This is just another problem with the, the system. This is what she, in her mind. So she hit override. She hit the button or the, that came up, whatever the medication was that came up that she thought was Versed. She hit it. It opened. What it actually was was Vecaronium. It is a paralytic. It is an IV medication that has to be reconstituted and that you give only only when you are intubating the patient and you are going to be breathing for the patient because it paralyzes everything. It paralyzes all your muscles, including your diaphragm, your accessory muscles that you use to breathe. So you cannot breathe with this medication. We give it because when you're doing surgery, you don't want a patient flopping around on the table. You have to have them perfectly still. She pulled that out. There were alerts everywhere. There were alarms. I'm sorry, I'm going to give a little commentary because this is my, my version of it. I know that for me, if I was pulling this out, there are so many alerts and alarms everywhere that they don't mean anything anymore. Okay. I'm just going to insert right, right. my own little opinion there, but there were alerts and alarms everywhere that it was a paralytic, you know, paralyzing agent and all of that. She reconstituted it. A lot of people are, you know, you don't reconstitute Versed. That's true. You don't reconstitute Versed. 
maybe I don't know that she'd given it a whole lot. And also I will say, uh, insert more commentary here and say that I many times I will go to get something in a hospital as I'm working and something that I've used a million times, all of a sudden it's changed. We've changed the manufacturer. We used to hang Merrim in a 100 ml bag of saline that's already put together from the pharmacy and all of a sudden you go and it's a little, the the vial and you're supposed to pull it up in a 10 cc syringe and push it over five minutes. And it's like, when did this happen? So stuff like this happens all the time. I will just, I, I wish I could have stood up in the courtroom and yelled that to the top of my lungs. It is not that to me unusual to go and grab a medication and be like, you have to, oh, it's powder. Oh, well, last time it was a liquid and move on. Okay. So anyway, she, she drew it up. She went down to the PET scan though. The, the patient was outside, like kind of like the hallway area because they had given her the, the, the contrast agent and it wasn't IV contrast, like, you know, that would be bad on the kidneys. It's the, it's the like glucose agent that they give, you know? So they had given it to her though, and it only lasts like an hour or so. And so she needed to get her scan, you know, so they were kind of letting her sit there waiting for her sedation. So Redonda verified, you know, who she was. There is no scanner down there. Okay. There is no scanner. As we all know, our medical records are in our computers. There are no medical, there's no medical record. There's no file, physical thing that you could pick up. There may be a notebook with some things in it, like EKG strips and stuff, but there, there is no medical record that's going to have orders and anything in it that's of that much value. And so you have to have the computer if you want to see orders, like the order for the medication to be able to verify it. So she could basically look at the patient and say, what is your name? And the patient can tell her her name. This was not her patient. She doesn't even know this patient. And so she administered the, the drug. It went into an uh, EJ that was in her neck. Uh, the patient complained that it was burning. She slowed it down a little bit. The patient said that was fine. And so she asked her, are you okay? And she said, yes. So she flushed it. And then she said something to the the staff, I guess, there in the radiology department, you know, and kind of left the left her in the care of the people in the radiology. Now, radiology technologists, they don't have monitoring capabilities or assessing capabilities like registered nurses do. They're very, very educated, highly educated, highly skilled at what they do in their imaging. And I could not do their job, but part their scope of practice does not include assessing and monitoring. But that being said, she was already down there with them. <laughs> you know what I mean? She was already down there with them. So she gave the medication and then she went on to the emergency department with her orientee and uh, to do the swallow study. And the next thing you know, one of the r- radiology techs um, looked at Miss Murphy and was just, you know, like, you know, something's obviously she's in distress and went over. She did not have a pulse. They called a code. They brought the crash cart. They got the ambu bag. They intubated her. They had no idea what was wrong. They took her back up to the ICU and Redonda had put what she thought was Versed and the syringe and everything back into a little baggie, like a little biohazard uh, lab bag that she had brought it down. So she took it back upstairs, gave it to the, to the patient's nurse and said, this needs to be scanned and we need to waste what's left because she had only given partial a partial dose. At this point, the, that nurse opens up the bag, looks at it and says, is this what you gave the patient? And she said, yes. And, and the, the nurse said, this is not Versed. This is Vecaronium. This is a paralytic. So she immediately went to the patient's room and told the physicians that were standing there with the patient um, what happened. Of course, they knew uh, at that point that it was, they already knew it was bad. They didn't know why. They didn't know what was going on, what happened all of a sudden, so suddenly, since she was doing better. They were assuming that it had something to do with the, the brain bleed. But um, at this point, they realized that she likely had an anoxic brain injury because she had not been breathing for a while. And so she was absolutely beside herself, devastated and destroyed, okay, completely. And she filled out an incident report. And from there on, she told anybody and everybody, every investigator that would that asked her, she from front to, to front to back, everything that happened all the details without an attorney present. And, you know, the the Veritas report that she filled out was supposed to be privileged. It is supposed to be something that is there for us to be able to learn from in a just culture. 
so that we can look at, at a situation like this and say, what in the world happened? What can we do so that this never happens again? I don't know. That's, that's, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. So, you know, I think the, I I think the first thing that, um, we should say is that that's hard. That's hard to hear. And I think the first thing that we do need to say before even moving forward with the rest of this episode is, you know, um, someone lost their life. It sucks. It's, it's, it's beyond sucks. There's nothing that we could do or Redonda could do or say to bring that individual back. And our heartfelt apologies, and I'm sure the family has heard this, the the Murphy family, of course, I think, I don't think anybody, like hearing that, if it was my mom, if it was my aunt, like I think, you know, I I couldn't imagine the pain that I'd feel if that was, if that was my loved one. It was really hard to 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 listen to her daughter-in-law uh, talk about, you know, that they were cooking Christmas dinner the day before when she started having the headache and, mm-hmm. and then they got to the hospital and they, she was, she knew she was going home. So they didn't celebrate Christmas in the hospital. They were going to wait until right. after. And, and her daughter-in-law was just absolutely, uh, it was so, it, it was heartbreaking, really yeah. heartbreaking. This is a sweet family, really sweet family. Yeah, I think what you described is every nurse's worst nightmare, that they're going to make a med error, right? And that it's an error that actually does affect the patient. And I'll be the first to admit, I have made a med error before. I have made a med error too. Just with what you described, and I think I read some of the deposition. uh, I think Sarah sent me an article that it's everything is out there. It's public. And I mean, as a quality improvement specialist myself, we look at various different areas. So we look at like, what are some patient factors that resulted in this patient's death? What are some of the environmental factors? What are some of the policies and procedures that were, that could have been amended and fixed? What were some of the materials? Like just hearing the stuff about the Omnicell is just like that even glares to me. What were some of the equipments and things that were missing? Like one of the things that we have out here is the ability to scan the patient's bracelet and then to scan the medication. That's like another, you know, um, a way to alert that there might be an issue. And then also just talking about, you know, what are some of the different surrounding concerns that we might have around, you know, um, high alert medications. And like you said, all the bells and whistles went off, but there's also alarm fatigue, especially that she worked in a neuro ICU. It just pains me to think that we're pointing our finger at one person when clearly, like clearly, this is a huge systems issue. Yeah. And it's one of those things where we try to promote this culture of transparency, right? So we can learn from it, not to be punished by it. And I just feel like this was the perfect storm of, you know, all the wrong things that happened. And I guess for me, because I want to know, you know, what happened afterwards? Like, how did it go from this error that occurred to she's being tried? Like, she's on trial. Like, in Canada, we hardly ever hear about nurses or any healthcare professional being tried criminally for any sort of, you know, med error. Like, how did it go from that to the trial? Maybe you can kind of give us a summary of that. When that initially happened, uh, Redonda was was let go very soon after that. She she was off for like a week or two, a couple of weeks or something. And I think they did let her go like January 4th or something like that, like very quickly. I don't know that she ever went back to work there. Vanderbilt settled out of court with the family, with Shirley Murphy's family. I believe it was February of 2018. It's an undisclosed amount. I mean, there's been some numbers thrown out there, but it, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. There is no number. You know, it could be $5 million. And I would be like, okay, that's fair. It's just, a, it doesn't matter. Um, but they did, Vanderbilt settled out of court. And then the medical examiner had put as for the cause of death, that the cause of death was due to a brain bleed and cardiac arrest. There was no mention at all of a medication error at all. And there wasn't even her in her record that it was given. All of it was swept under the rug. Months went by. She got another job at another hospital working in CVICU um, at another hospital down the road. And I think that everyone thought everything, it was over with. There was nothing else, nothing was going to come of it. And I really think that there were people maybe at Vanderbilt, this is what my suspicion is. I think, I think there was, there were people at Vanderbilt that were looking around going, nothing happened. 
there was no, there were no changes. This happened, a horrible thing happened, and they haven't done anything to fix the system. They fired her and that was their fix as if there was no problem in the hospital. And I think it, because someone in October of that year, you know, many months later called the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services um, and made an anonymous report about a medication error that had happened at Vanderbilt that led to a patient's death. And then they did a surprise visit to Vanderbilt. And that's, that's what kind of got the ball rolling because that in, in November of that year, they came and visited, they threatened to pull their funding. Vanderbilt knew that they were in trouble and they, they could lose the funding um, from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which was about a fifth of the income for that hospital. It would have shut them down. They came up with a, a, some solutions, some things they were going to fix, you know, put in place all these months later to appease the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services. And apparently that was fine. The things that they did, they moved Becaronium and changed how it was, how you pulled it up. They, they put paralytic agent at the beginning. Like you have to literally know what you're pulling out to get it. You have to type in paralytic instead of Becaronium or VE. And just a few things like that, that they changed. I think they maybe put scanners down there, hopefully um, in radiology. I don't know that anybody really ever said, or if this is, has, was ever made clear, but somehow a referral was sent to the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation about a nurse who had made a medication error, had been, somebody must have thought, reckless and uh, it, that it was appropriate to investigate the situation. Right. Now, who sent the referral? I don't know, because all the TBI agent on the stand would say was, I got the referral for this situation because but they no wanted to disclosure know. of where the referral came from. She never said. And so I don't know. I don't know if it was CMS, like the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services. Um, I don't know. And so then she went and interviewed Redonda and then she took all of her and they played that two hour, almost two hour interview from Redonda telling exactly what happened from the big, what, just what I just did, except it was like a very long interview. She told everything every single thing and you can hear her saying i should not have over i should not have overridden i should not have done that i should have looked at the vial i don't understand why why i didn't look at the vial i should have she said all of those things in this interview with the tbi agent and she did not have a, a lawyer with her and then tbi took that information to the district attorney and the district attorney glenn funk who by the way incidentally is up for re-election right now this is 2022 and March. And I know that early, early voting is uh, going to be going on in April in just about a month. Oh, does, does he have a Twitter account? I think we can. Uh, oh, yes. He has a Twitter account on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, I think we've been aggravating him a little bit in the past couple we'll, of we'll, days. We'll put some more pressure on. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, and I, I think that there is maybe a district attorney or a potential district attorney running against him, somebody, you know, wanting his office um, who has made a public statement that she didn't agree with the prosecution, but I'm not a hundred percent sure about that. So I don't really want to necessarily you know, promote her just yet. Yeah. He decided that was a good idea. Let's go forward and prosecute this. And so he had her arrested and brought her, you know, into court and that's what happened. There's so many questions there. And I wonder, Tina, do you know if they did like a quality of care review with Redonda immediately after it happened? Because normally what we do, and I can only tell you about the process here in Canada, typically when we have like a medical error that results in death, we will um, pull all the key stakeholders together and we have a, a meeting essentially. And this meeting is covered under, it's protected from HIPAA laws. So similar laws to what you have in the States in terms of it can't actually be this particular conversation can't be pulled and used in a court of law. We don't take notes. The only types of documentation that we do put down are the recommendations. So what are the recommendations that came out of this particular quality of care review? And then the recommendations are usually what we would share with the family, but the conversation itself is confidential. And we try to make sure that we have, you know, we have nursing staff, we have administration if they were involved, we have physicians that were involved. We try to make sure we have all the relevant parties. So we sit down and we say like, what happened? Please tell us transparently what happened. Do you know if that happened with Redonda? She filled out the Veritas report and that's what that is. So it was just a report, but not like an actual sit, sit down, root cause analysis, nothing. 
all of that. So what the way the way that Vanderbilt handled that was to take her report and file it, you know, and then put on the death certificate or, you know, medical examiner have put on the death certificate that, it, you know, that was from the, the brain yeah. bleed. So it feels like everything. And then her their answer to all of the problems was to fire the nurse. And I think that when CMS came along and said, wait, what happened? Yeah. They rent what? They it, panicked. It wasn't us. It was her. She was reckless. She overrode oh the system. God. She completely ignored alerts and warnings that were all over the place. So no she, accountability. She abandoned her patient. She gave a medication, even if she thought it was Versed. She abandoned, walked off, and left the patient there. Nurses all over were going, wait a minute. You know, I just I can't help but think that they made her the scapegoat in this mm-hmm. situation and that yeah. her firing was almost premeditated, right? Because mm-hmm. maybe this exposed a whole lot of errors in the system and they thought like there's no way to fix this we're just going to put this all in poor redonda and hope that she never speaks out about it um our state nursing board um in the state of tennessee actually when when this happened they issued a letter they 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 investigated the situation okay they have a panel of investigators they are neutral they are there to protect the public they are not there to protect nurses i've tried to right. tell people this all the time they are not there for to protect us they are there to protect the public from us and that's we mm-hmm. need them okay i want them there too for me as a patient and so they looked at it and investigated the situation and they sent a letter to redonda saying that no further action is needed this was a medication error and they did not even suspend her license let alone revoke her license. Right. Interesting. So, and I, and, and I guess this is the other question that I have from like, I guess the, like an American standpoint. So here in Canada, the other thing that happens is typically if you work at a hospital, not all hospitals, but most hospitals, their, their nurses are covered by unions here. So if you are part of the union and let's say you're being sued, the union also will help support the nurse in whatever whatever the situation may be. And then again, if the hospital is being sued, the hospital will provide protection for the nurse, even if they're unionized as well. It sounds like she was not unionized. Tennessee is what's considered an employee at will. So hospitals can can choose to hire, fire, do whatever. You can. You, it's a right to work state. So you can go to work and quit anytime you want to, and they can hire you and fire you anytime they want to. And so they're, they're really, it, there may be some unions. Um, they don't have a lot of power. We, we don't have that system in the state. Now, other states do, but not, not Tennessee. So what were some of the, the key things that came out of this trial and kind of what are some of the circumstances surrounding the trial? So what, like, we know that the trial has ended. We know that she has been um, convicted criminally. So she was charged initially with two cases of reckless homicide. And I did my little research in terms of what reckless homicide looks like. And I think in terms of what that would be here in Canada, it would probably be um, some form of involuntary manslaughter here. You know, so she was charged now convicted of reckless homicide. Well, she wasn't convicted of reckless homicide. She was initially charged with reckless homicide, which is a a greater offense, but she was charged with a lesser offense of criminally negligent homicide. I guess, you know, it's a little bit less uh, than reckless homicide. And I think we used to call it manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter, and it got changed, just the, the verbiage. And then she was also, another count was abuse of an impaired adult. So because wow. she had the patient was vulnerable because she was in the hospital and she obviously gave her medication that made her vulnerable they charged her with abuse of an impaired adult so she was she was convicted of that of, of abuse of an impaired adult and she was convicted of criminally negligent homicide and she does face up to 6 years in prison and her sentencing is in is on May the 13th which ironically enough is nurses week and the day after wow. The nurses march that was going that's apparently going on in um, Washington D.C. But I think that there's a lot of people that's going to be going to Nashville. Is that the million nurse march? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole thing that's that, that that's going on. I guess on the on the twelfth. Now there's a lot of people going. Um, they, I mean, there's a lot of people going to that, and then that Friday, you know, going on down to Nashville. But there are a lot of people that are going to be going to Nashville for this uh, for the sentencing. It's so extra to charge her with abuse of an apparent adult. Like this kind of says that she intended to do this, which she obviously did not. I, I agree with you, Sarah. Like what happened to the whole 
intentionality. Like I think I think that piece is like really important, right? You know, she didn't intentionally try to abuse this individual. She didn't intentionally try to harm her or, or, you know, end her life. It's just, I think, I don't, I don't know. This is very scary. Yeah. What they said. And I can tell you, I mean, I was there for the whole trial and I kind of know what the state is thinking in that because what they said is that she, for one thing, the patient was vulnerable because she's in the hospital and anyone in the hospital is vulnerable. And we know that, you know, I try to remember, remind myself of that all the time. You know, they're stuck in this, in this room, in this bed. Um, You need to try to respond as quickly as possible if, if, you know, um, and care for them and realize that they are vulnerable. And so, and then she, of course, she gave her a medication that really rendered her completely vulnerable. And then she walked off from them and quote, abandoned her. And so to them, to them, it was intentional that she walked away from a patient that she had just given this medication to. And that, that was their thinking to, to me. I, I believe it was all part of the same medication error. And if she had given a milligram of Versed, like she thought she had, it would not have been an issue. Also, if Vanderbilt had required that she be, if, if a patient was going to be given Versed, and going to be going off the the floor, going down to radiology, there should be a way to monitor a patient down there. There was. I was going to say, what's the standard of care? If if if, the, if there were no standards of care surrounding those those various elements, you can't make policies afterwards and be like, well, she should have done X, Y, and Z. Yes. If there was nothing in place, that is the hospital's fault. Right. <laughs> like there is that is not the nurse's fault. She's not supposed to make like if there is no standard of care that outlines. If this medication is given, you need to stay with the patient for, you know, you do Q3, Q15 vitals, you do, or Q5 vitals, you, you know, you do X, Y, and Z, and that's not outlined. It should just be understood that if you give a, a, a sedative that then you do, you know, Q15 uh, minute vital signs, or, you know, you do a complete assessment or set a full set of vitals or whatever, mm-hmm. assessing their breathing, um, wait with them for 15 minutes, like whatever the, the standard of care should be, it should be automatic for everybody and everyone should know it. It shouldn't. But instead, the way that it was put on was as a nurse, as a professional nurse, and they did have a nurse that was there um, who's been a nurse for a million years. And she said that basically, you know, Redonda should have known as a nurse that she she should have known without Vanderbilt telling her, without a doctor telling her to stay with the patient. Mm-hmm. Even if she had given the Versed, she should have known to stay with the patient. And that that was the argument. Yeah. And I think that like what you had said before, Tina, was that she was an exemplary nurse. So it's not like there's this pattern of behavior that's continued on for a period of time. Like this was something that just happened one time. And that's exactly right. right. And I will tell you uh, what you're just, what you're alluding to is I was telling you guys this before uh, we started recording. There were uh, there was a nurse, the nurse that was following her as her orientee, the new grad nurse requested that Redonda be his preceptor because she was such a good nurse. She took such good care of her patients. She was so uh, detail oriented. She was so good at educating, loved educating, loved to, to just love nursing. Sounds, I mean, just sounds like, I don't know, just who I would want to be my nurse. Do you know what I'm saying? She's, she's you, she's me, she's Sarah. She's, right. She's all of us that are so passionate about nursing that we make podcasts that we can talk about it in our <laughs> right. days off. I mean, you know, and then there was a physician that, I mean, it, this is not the, the biggest compliment in the world. A physician on the stand under oath was asked what kind of nurse she is. And he said, she was an excellent nurse. She's the kind of nurse you want taking care of your patients, your, your highest acuity patients, because she's going to monitor them so closely. She's going to let you know if anything changes. I, I can't imagine a better compliment coming from a physician. These are these unfortunate series of events that that happen in healthcare, and this is why, like I was saying, like you know, we at, we started the the episode with saying like who is Redonda Vaught, and I and and I think people have to realize that really she is she could she could have been me, she could have been Sarah practicing, she could have been you, and I think this is where we have to start having some conversations about, you know, what's happening with within our communities, within nursing, within healthcare, within even, you know, the patient, the patient experience realm. But um, before we get into that, what are some of the concerns that you might have kind of surrounding the verdict that has come out? And what does that mean for nursing and healthcare? I 
it, it's we're still it's still so fresh because it just happened a couple of days ago and I was working uh when the verdict came in and I just I felt like it was just such a punch in the gut I keep saying that because it's exactly how it felt it just took the wind out of me I really didn't expect 12 random people to hear all the details of the case and find her guilty of all of those charges it was so shocking and I really am afraid I'm I'm afraid as a nurse that there are going to be nurses and not just nurses, because this will affect all healthcare workers that deal with direct patient care. There are many healthcare workers who potentially could make a mistake that could lead to a patient's death, not just nurses. This could happen to doctors. I mean, you know, a CNA could, I know they're not technically licensed, but they are, they also are responsible for taking care of patients. They could, uh, this actually happened here in the States where a CNA decided to get a patient up out of uh, bed in a nursing home and they technically required two a two person assist but everybody had been doing it getting the one you know and it was fine one person and this time the patient fell broke a hip ended up immobilized eventually uh, developed pneumonia as a result of being immobile and died and the family sued and then the they came after this CNA like wait a minute you chose to do this when you knew there were supposed to be two people so any of us at any time heard this horror story. I worked in CVICU and was taking care of an ECMO patient. And one of the ECMO specialists told this awful story about a, a radiology technician that brought a portable x-ray tech or x-ray machine into an ECMO room and tripped over the cord. And I mean, you know, that's not, you're not going to survive that because it's like a garden hose coming out of their yeah. neck. Um, and so that it pulled out and the patient died, of course. And this, this, te- you know, this radiology tech just tripped over it. I mean, what do you, what, were they just not careful? Do you not know how sensitive this is, how careful you have to be? I mean, you can say all those things. And that's what I worry about is that there are going to be things that are going to happen and people are going to be like, oh, I can't say anything. I've got, I want to go home to my family. You know, I don't want to risk if I say something. I could get arrested. What if, you know, so people are going to start covering things up and, and being quiet instead of being like, oh my gosh, I just made an error. How did I do this? Mm-hmm. That's what scares me about it. Yeah. And that is the worst case scenario. Like that is for someone who works in quality improvement, like we know errors happen. It's the hardest thing to deal with them, to fix them, to correct them if we have no idea what's happening. And we need people to feel psychologically safe to say this error happened and for us to say, okay, let's look at and see how this occurred to, to make sure it never happens again. But what systems improvements can we make to ensure we put all the checks and balances in place? And I think for me, that's the scariest element. Like we're supposed to be able to say, I think there's some analogies in terms of like healthcare and how how unsafe healthcare is in relation to like bungee jumping and getting into a plane and all these various different things. We have to have an environment where we have that just culture, where we can have these conversations to continually improve patients' and families' lives. But if we don't talk about the errors, we're only going to see more and more of them and deadlier and deadlier errors. Like this is, and now if people are afraid like I could tell you in any circumstance where we have like quality improvement and we're pulling people together, it is so hard for people to have those conversations, especially when harm has occurred to say, I misread the label or, you know, those two vials look exactly the same. And I pulled the wrong vial. I pulled the x-ray out and I did the wrong surgery. Like it happens and it's, it's super unfortunate, but we have to look at it from a systems approach because people are people where we, to err is human. There's literally like a whole book on to err is human and and how error occurs and how we can prevent it. But if we have fear because, you know, you can't have these these safe conversations, I think that is the more devastating down uh, downside to all of this that people just won't say. And it's so hard to build that culture of trust, right, where it's okay to uh, admit you've made a mistake and it's okay to talk about how we can move forward, right? So I feel like 
this case and this verdict has undone probably years in many organizations where we try to let staff know it's okay. Like I've worked in organizations where it's like pulling teeth to get nurses to come to these quality of care reviews, let alone speak up at these reviews. And everyone is going to be afraid now because of what's happened. And it's been so widely publicized. And I just don't even know, you know, how we move forward from here. That's that's a big question. One thing that really bothers me a lot is when I see people on social media who get so angry because I keep defending Redonda and this whole situation and I and I'm advocating. I'm not what what I know is that for one thing, I am not coming I'm not I have not come out and said anything about the actual mistake that she made and that, you know, she should not have lost her license or that there shouldn't have been consequences. I haven't said anything about that. That's in the past. There's no point in even talking about that. I know that there have been times that I have gone home and thought back, re- reflected as we do. I reflected back on my day and I rem- you know, and, and stopped and, and thought about something that I did that I swore I I would have never thought I would do a mistake that I made that I was just like, how did I do that? What was I thinking? I know it doesn't happen all the time. It is rare and it gets more and more rare as I get more experience when it happened a lot more often when I was a new grad because I was new. And when I say new grad, I mean like first two, three years, she had only been a nurse for like, she'd been there for two years and only been a nurse for maybe three that's still very, very young, still very new. You're still learning. You're still trying to figure out your time management. You're still trying to figure out what's important, what's not, what to focus on, what not to focus on. It's, it's all, you're still learning everything. And so I, I do make less and less mistakes and I, I know what to focus on, but there's still times when I'm, when I catch myself, you know, doing something and I just think, what, how did that happen? Because I want to, I want to be better. I want to do better. So I'm doing that for myself. And I just think that if there are people out there who are looking at this, wanting to analyze and tear this, this whole thing apart and pick it apart, you can do that. You can totally spin this in a way that you can get up on your high horse and put your halo on and be, you know, just totally perfect and just pick it apart. It's a terrible mistake. And she says that she, she admitted it from the beginning. She's never said it was anything other than that, but if you think that you, if you work in direct patient care, if you are working with patients, giving medications, taking people to the bathroom, supposed to be turning people, somebody gets a pressure ulcer and you yep, didn't charge. say, never events. Pressure injuries are never events. <laughs> yes. And you sit, you're supposed to be turning and all of a sudden they look back on the charting of this patient that went septic because of a pressure ulcer that they, they developed while they were in your care. And they see that you took care of that patient for several days. That patient didn't have a pressure ulcer charted on this day. And then all of a sudden on the fifth day, you had been working for four days straight. On the fifth day, a new nurse comes along and goes, there's a pressure ulcer here. And that was the start of the whole thing. That was the start of the whole thing, Nurse Tina. You didn't chart that. Did you turn this patient? And I look back and I think I would have always turned my patients. Of course I turn my patients. I would never a patient like that, that that's, that's that vulnerable. That would have been top priority. Well, you didn't chart it. You didn't document it. It wasn't done. Yep. A hundred percent. We are all at risk. Any, there's so many things that can go wrong. So many things that you don't even know that you are doing or not doing that could come back to bite you in three, four, five, six years. The DA decides what, what this nurse, this all comes back to you. As that nurse said, that expert said on the witness stand, the buck stops with me. Everybody else before me can make mistakes. Everybody else before me can, you know, the pharmacy tech can switch around the medication. So when I check that medication, I better be perfect. And the person before me can type it into the, the, key it into the Omnicell wrong. So when I go and type in VE, I better be perfect because the buck stops with me. So I have to be perfect, right? Yeah, that's, that's. (laughs) Sorry, it just really makes me so mad. No, but this is like. You literally have to say to nurses who might be, you know, having this this split in terms of decisions or thinking about this in a different way that you live in a glass house too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. we're all living in glass houses. So if you want to throw up the first stone, mm-hmm. remember that you live in a glass house too. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, you know, well, I've never made a mistake. Any nurse out there, 
I'm telling, listen to me today. Any nurse that tells you they've never made a mistake in their career, they are lying to you. They need to get up off their high horse because that is not true. We all make mistakes. It's just, but it's just inevitable. It's it like I think there are lots of mis- there are lots of things that we put like nurses love checklists. <laughs> like we're just like checklists happy. Like there, but the thing is, it's actually a proven science. Like we follow airlines. Airlines have checklists and that and they follow these ch- checklists and they have that check and balance where the pilot isn't you know the main person, the main captain on the ship. Healthcare is still working that kink out. But the thing is, we are using checklists. We have lots of little things that we do to make sure that we don't have, we don't, you know, make an error. And I could tell you, when you're a nurse and you make an error, you do not sleep. It does, you, you can't even, and it's like, you just, you just know and you hope that it doesn't affect someone the way this affected um, the Murphy family. I remember when I made my first medical error and I it was actually an insulin error so imagine right I I gave insulin that was and surprisingly it was actually too low of a dose so I I looked at the sliding scale I couldn't really read the numbers and I I I thought it said a particular number and I gave less than I did thankfully but the thing is this is why they say okay you know when we're looking at charts we want doctors to you know, they, we want them to do print orders now. So like, for example, or don't, don't leave trailing zeros. Don't do, and this is the, the way we find that out is through people talking honestly about the error that has occurred. And then they make changes in the system to make sure that, you know, the next nurse who comes behind me doesn't do the exact same thing. The fact that, you know, people are picking it apart and being like, well, she should have known she should have done, she should have done means that we're really not thinking about this the way that we really should be. And it's it's very concerning to see that there are so many split thoughts on this whole situation. Yeah, and I think that online, people just read what they want to read or hear what they want to hear, right? So if they were not going to support this nurse anyway, they're just looking for that headline that says, oh my God, a nurse gave the wrong medication and now a patient has died. And these people, like not like us, they don't have of that that background information to understand how stressful it is to work in healthcare. The alarm fatigue, the burnout, the incredible amount of stress that nurses are on right now, you know, like having double the workload that you normally would. And also with Redonda being sort of a, a help all nurse, she didn't have like you said, she didn't know any one of those patients. So it was kind of like, you know, she's just doing whatever she needs to do to help out. Yeah, like right. a float, yeah. And, you know, I've made a med error too. I still remember. I gave, um, it was an oral morphine order and I gave 10 milligrams instead of five. And we didn't find out until the end of the day because back in the day, we still had to do manual count on the paper. Counts. And we were not allowed to leave if the count was off and the count was off. And when they kept saying the name of the medication, I thought, oh, my God, that was the one that I gave. I popped it out of the wrong tablet. Like we didn't have the automatic dispensing cabinets. It was just under lock and key. So what I ended up doing was my manager said, you need to go and let the patient know. And that was probably one of the hardest conversations I've had to have. And she was actually, thankfully, very understanding about it. You know, I told her what some of the side effects might be. I filled out an incident report on myself. Um, But I think this was probably one of the best case scenarios. And I'm just so, it's just so disappointing to hear what Redonda went through compared to what I went through or maybe many other nurses have gone through. And I think this is the point where we are trying to talk to people to really let them know and understand what the nursing profession is. Because I think individuals, a lot of the community who don't really understand healthcare have this really, I don't know, like jaded perception on on what the nursing profession is about. And I think we've been talking for years about the burnout, about the understaffing, about doing more and more with less and less. And people don't understand how incredibly stressful that is and that we've, we are still going through a pandemic. Like I know that people are like, oh, well, I know in the States, they're not even counting numbers out there. (laughs) But like, I mean, like we are still reeling off of two of the most devastating years in healthcare that I can, that I can put on record and people don't understand the insurmountable amount of pressures that nurses have. And I think that's a part of the conversation too, right? We have to talk about the things that we we don't have to support ourselves, like safe staffing levels or 
you know, all the various different asks that we have where, you know, healthcare has become so business oriented. I feel that even thinking about this case, who are they trying to protect? Are they trying to protect their image? Are they trying to protect the fact that they didn't have these things, these checks and balances in place? Who are they? Are they trying to protect the patient? It feels like they aren't trying to protect anybody else but themselves and their reputation. And that's concerning too, because that's not patient safe and patient about patient quality care. I think that if, if Vanderbilt had stood behind Redonda from the beginning and had, uh, they could have let her go, but they still could have treated it like what it was. And it was a medication error and reported it to where whoever, the, of course they told the family and they knew, but you know, put it on the, the let the state board know, let CMS know, be forthcoming uh, about everything. What changes do you need to make? But they, it's like they were just so afraid that they were going to suffer some sort of consequences that they just tried to, to cover it up. And then when the, the hammer came down, you know, Redonda's defense attorney, he had a great analogy. He said that it was like a game of musical chairs. And when the music stopped, everybody had a seat except Redonda. You know, Vanderbilt had a seat. All the doctors had a seat. The other nurses had a seat. Everybody else that was involved in that situation got a seat except her. She was the one that pushed the medication. She was the one that overlooked the medication, but there, she was also working in a system that had a lot of holes in it. And they know that. They knew it when it happened. That's why they made changes. Yeah, that's, that is definitely the most terrifying part, right? To be like, I, I, I don't even have words for what's happening. It's, 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 it's actually really scary as a nurse hearing this. And, you know, I saw your post on Instagram and you kind of talked about it a little bit earlier too. Tell us a little bit about this district attorney. I mean, you've alluded to the fact that there were some kind of shady misgivings kind of from the beginning. All I know is that Glenn Funk is the district attorney in the Nashville area. He's the one that decided to bring criminal charges against Redonda. I do know that he is an adjunct, adjunct professor at the Vanderbilt University School of Law. Vanderbilt University and the medical center are not, they're not like under the same umbrella. They're, they're, they're separated. They separated years ago, I guess. But I still feel like there's an affiliation there that's, that still feels awful, awful much. I don't know. It feels an awful lot like a conflict of interest to me because it seems like he would be trying to protect Vanderbilt's interest, you know, being that closely tied. That's just, I don't know. It it doesn't seem fair to me. Um, and he is up for re-election. And the thing is that even with, you know, all that stuff aside, he, he chose to prosecute a, a nurse for making a medication error. I think that that district attorneys need to realize that if they do that, they're going to have the whole healthcare field. Not, I mean, I, I, f I think all healthcare people need to be waking up and seeing this. If you live in Nashville, I would be voting. You know, when, when, that, when the, the election comes around, these small elections, a lot of times um, not very many people show up if it's not, you know, the year of a, a presidential election, if it's, it's smaller ones. Um, so your vote matters in these, you know, kind of off year elections. Your vote absolutely matters. And I guarantee you, he probably thinks he's the incumbent and he is a shoe in for the reelection. And I think he didn't count on having a year of COVID and the trial getting pushed to the election year when he, he decided to try this case. I think this case has set a dangerous precedent, actually, for what could happen. What I'm thinking, it's what a lot of other nurses are thinking. And you kind of alluded to what I was going to ask you in my next question, Tina, which is how can people help or what do you think some of the next steps could be? Because this is obviously um, not ended. There's going to be a lot more, I think, in the news. Like what, what do you think people can do? Well, there is a Facebook group called Nurses March for Redonda Vaught. Um, and it's anyone who is interested in going to Nashville and just being there on May 13th when she, uh, that's the date of her sentencing. And anyone who just wants to be there in spirit, you don't have to necessarily be able to go. But it's a good place to go because any kind of updates that I get, I'll put it on there. And so, you know, we'll, we can kind of keep everyone who is interested in following this updated on that uh, group uh, page. So if you want to go, it's a private group, but you, if you ask it, there, <laughs> it's a low threshold for me. I just, 
I'm not that picky. I don't care. Um, I just want to get the word out for her. I just want to, and I mean, if you go on there and start bashing her, I'm, I'm going to get you off there because that's the whole you know point. So don't think that's going to happen. But um, I think that's a good place. There, I know that there, there are some people trying to set up a, like some kind of an account for her, like to be able to donate. She, she lost her license. The, the, the nursing board decided to come back um, a year, like a year or so later and re-review and investigate the case. Okay. They, they sent her that letter and were like, Oh, you're free and clear. We investigated. You're good. Then they went back like after all this kind of came out and they reinvestigated and decided to take her license away. They were all of a sudden shocked at what, what happened and took her license away. So she can't work as a nurse. She's a farmer. She's working as a farmer. She's got a long, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't, I don't want to speak for her. Um, I don't know if she's going to appeal. I, I don't know any of that stuff, but I've, I've, I feel like she's going to need some help. Mm-hmm. And I've been waiting and trying to find out some information for, you know, how people can help. And I think we're, we're in the next day or two, we're going to get some information about that. And we'll put that on the, on the Facebook page. Yeah, please share whatever you have. Um, we'd be happy to share that as well. And I was going to say to Sarah, maybe we should make a trip to Nashville. I have actually been to Nashville before a long time ago. I've never been. It's a great city. Yeah. I mean, whatever we can do to help and support, I think, like I said, you know, although this is happening in America, I think this is a very dangerous precedent to set for nursing and for our profession. And I think that, you know, we all need to come together and really talk about what's happening here and talk about, you know, errors in healthcare and how we are supposed to be dealing with them because we should be looking at them as a root cause analysis. I think there's a there's a complete difference where, for example, we we had an episode where we had um, Bruce Sackman on our case where he talked, sorry, our, on our podcast where you talked about people who were serial killers. That's not the same situation here. And I think that, you know, we really need to give our heads a good shake in terms of what what we're doing. And again, I keep on saying this because I want people to also understand this side that we understand the gravity of of the situation. We understand that. And just like you said too, Tina, you know, she lost her license. She she was fired. I really I want to I want to challenge people out there to to really think and, and ask themselves the question, do you think that this individual or any nurse for that matter who you know mistakenly or or has a mistake in in medicine or in healthcare do you and and it results in a patient's death do you think that individual should be held responsible and should go to prison or should we be looking at what caused that error to occur in the first place from a systems level like i think if if this is the direction this is the route that we're going to take I think we might see an, a drastic decline in the amount of people who want to get into these caring professions. Because I think at the end of the day, we get into this work because we care so deeply for human beings. We care so deeply for our brothers, our sisters, people that we don't know. Like if you think about it, we are caring for people we don't know about. Like what what type of person does that, right? The, you have to think of the type of person that gets into a profession where you're going to be looking after someone like they are your loved ones. And I think that's what we need to really think about. And whatever we can do to help and support and change people's minds to think about this in a different way, um, I think we're willing to do. Yeah. And speaking of loved ones, I had read something, Tina, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but that the Murphy family actually said that they forgave Redonda for what happened and they understood that it was an honest mistake. Do you, do you know anything about that? They did. When it first happened, uh, when she was first arrested, they did sort of uh, make a statement, like one, one statement uh, that basically to the effect of um, how devastated they were. Um, but that she would have wanted them to forgive her. She would not have wanted her to be prosecuted and all of that. that that's what they said initially. They have been pretty quiet ever since then. So I don't know mm-hmm. if that changed over time or I know that I know uh, just they were there for the whole trial. Mm-hmm. Um, most most of their she had uh, several family members that were there. It was really sad, you know, just to see them. They were very strong to come and endure that whole, the whole thing. Nurses all over, and, and I hope that they know, that know this, um, I think that they do, are, but we are all grieving for Charlene Murphy and her family. We, 
I grieve all the time. Every time I think about it, it's horrifying. And Redonda does too. She will never, she won't have another day of her life that she doesn't think about it. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, I think that's, it is tragic all around. Like there's, there's no real good way for either end. Like I think this is what I think about sometimes when I, you know, even when I think, and maybe this is just my opinion, when I think about, you know, um, we don't have this here in Canada, but, you know, um, when people ha- like the death penalty, should we really make someone lose? Like we've lost a life already. Should we take away someone else's as well? I don't know. I, for me, I, I, I find that um, we should really think about these things very, very cautiously and very carefully and really think about what we're doing to one another. I think over the last two years, people's appetite for, um, humanity has really changed. And I think that's another thing that we have to talk about. I feel like, um, like I said, it's very tragic. And I, I really want people to really think about what we're doing here. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, telling us this most important story. And I really hope that, you know, our listeners, I, I hope we get some feedback. Like I, I'd like to hear from people. I'd like to hear some perspectives. I think um, the other piece is that accountability for hospitals and that and for Vanderbilt. Like, I think maybe they thought that they're going to get away with um, pointing the finger at one person's chest. But I think, again, we need to all point the finger at them and say, well, what could you have done to prevent this as well? Mm -hmm. So thank you, Tina, for coming on. I know that you feel very passionately about this. I know that it wasn't easy for you to tell um, her story, but thank you so much for being her voice and advocating for her. We have watched you advocate for Redonda for a very long time, and we need more people like you out there. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me.